Welcome to the Taiwanese Diaspora Podcast. This is episode 10. So today I'd like to welcome Tracy to the podcast. We had an incredible two-hour conversation, which I had to edit down to just what we put on the podcast today. So Tracy today will be talking about what it was like for her to be a parachute kid in the 1990s. So I actually hadn't heard of the term parachute kid before. And a parachute kid is defined as an unaccompanied minor sent to an overseas school. So this was something very popular in the 1990s coming out of Taiwan. And towards the end of our conversation, we talk about Tracy's philosophy about raising her kids in a bilingual context. I hope you enjoy our conversation as much as I did. 大家好，欢迎收听台湾人网络广播。这是第十集。我们今天欢迎Tracy来给我们讲她小留学生的回想。她九十年代来美国，然后嗯遇到很多困难，然后她今天就跟我们讲一下她克服这些挑战的过程。Awesome. Okay. Well, there are a lot of things I want to know about <laughs> about you. Uh huh. Um, yeah. And it's honestly, it's the first time I've talked about it, and I've never been interviewed for a podcast before. So I think it, yeah, like it's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> you know, everybody kind of have their own story, and um, you know, I'm sh- I'm willing to share mine and look forward to hearing what you think after you hear my story. But I I just think. What you're doing, this is really cool. It's it's for yourself, um, and you're really helping people. I think like you're really, you know, doing something here because I don't think anybody's doing stuff like this. Um, well, thank you, Tracy. I really appreciate that. Uh, yeah, and we we were talking offline about some of the reasons why I wanted to do a podcast project, um, and I think maybe someday I will make a recording for everybody as well. Cool. Well. Tracy, let me formally welcome you to the podcast. Thank you for joining me today. And I'm really excited to talk with you. Hi, Cynthia. Thank you for having me. And um, thank you for doing this project to give me an opportunity to talk about my story. My name is Tracy. Tracy. 然后我是十岁的时候来美国，我是那个时候就是大概是一九九三年的小留学生。I was a parachute kid. My parents put me with a she had like a informal host family arrangement with a family friend. And when I was ten, she arranged that my sister and I, who was seventeen at the time, stay at a family friend's house. Wow, so many questions. You那时候来的时候是你自愿来的，还是你父母想说你先来上学，然后再回去台湾，或是我他们是怎么想安排？嗯，那个时候其实我那个时候才十岁耶，蛮小的。那在那个年代，嗯，蛮流行，就是说把
呃，像是回台湾，就是可能会找到比较好的工作，又或者如果可以移民美国的话，就就是在那个年代会觉得说很棒，就是可以有更好的发展。那会选美国，应该是因为他那个时候他的朋友蛮蛮多人都有。就是可能比较常听到来美国，然后那时候刚好有一个朋友，他的朋友一个阿姨，那他们刚好在 Irvine， 在加州这边，就是有一个房子，那就是他小时候我们家住离他那里也很近，那就是等于说他也蛮熟悉我长大，看我长大这样子，所以就这样就选了来加州了。So you said this is called a parachute kid. So, what was it like when you first came to the U.S.? Did you prepare? Did you learn English in Taiwan first before you came?、Mm, yeah,、um, I had like a year of very informal, just 那种嗯补习班，美语补习班啊， mm. uh, 然后就是可能上了几个月这样。那那个时候我才就是其实也没有学到很好，很简单的几个单词。Like all I know was she, he, I, you, <laughs> <laughs>、um, like very minimal, like. Basically, like zero vocab. I know that I'm going to、um, the U.S. to live there and stay there, but I think my parents were, at the time, they're also going through a very、um, tough time in their marriage. I don't think it was a very wise decision they made. And then my sister was seventeen, so in Taiwan, 那个年代就是有很多升学的压力。会很难进大学，因为在九三年那个时候，台湾大学很少，所以要进去大学是很竞争的。那那个时候，一方面也觉得说他可以不要有升学的压力，那就是我、哦、好像是叫大考，我其实不太记得。但是那个那因为是大概不知道几年后，台湾就是开始就是变了好多大学，那 and then became very easy to go to get a college degree. So this is before that happened. 所以好的大学是没有几间。然后我姐姐是蛮会念书的，她是喜欢念书的那种小孩。那我爸妈就是问她想不想来美国念书，那她就说她想。所以她来，然后可能我妈就觉得说，就是我就一起来，因为我还小，呃，可以一起来这样。所以你你们两个是同时来？我姐姐其实先来半年，然后她就是呃，一九九三年她是一月来的。然后他先住，也是一个阿姨家。那个时候蛮多这种小留学生，那有时候就会住在亲戚家。那我们的 case 是比较算比较 extreme 一点，算是那种 family friend。其实我姐姐那时候更辛苦一点，因为她来自的来一月的那个时候，我们的那个 family friend 她的房子其实还没有 in escrow， 所以她去住了一个那个阿姨的 family friend 家。哦、oh, so ，所以这是基本上就是就是陌生人了。嗯哼哼，对，所以他去，但是嗯，不过他他去的话，那个人家里也是有跟他年纪一样的的小孩，然后他们就一起去上海国。So she did that for about six months, and then I came in the summer of 1993. And then we just lived in my mother's family friend's house. And actually, at that time, we we I was called her as grandma. Um, grandma is a bit like godmother. Um. 就是比较听起来比较轻啦，可是其实，嗯，其实我们就是没有认识到那么久。不过他小时候就是蛮疼我的，可是后来住久了就遇到一些，毕竟不是自己的亲戚啊，或者是连自己的家人，一般有时候都会有摩擦，更不要说是，呃
这种比较没有很深厚关系的的一些朋友，所以住一住就是我们觉得不是很就没有很自在。对，所以我们后来就没有住很久，我们就搬开。然后刚来美国的时候，那个时候就是我要我十岁，所以要去上四年级 ，four grade。啊、uh, ，and then they， 然后那个时候有 ，so young，yeah，I <laughs> know ten， yeah， ten years old， um， fourth grade， and then the the elementary school was within like a walking distance somewhat， um， I felt like it was very long and far at the time， it's a few blocks down， and they had an ESL program， so at least it felt a little comforting that I'm not the only person who doesn't speak English， so I did that for a year。And then, because I think because of budget cuts, they cut the ESL program. So by fifth grade, the starting of the second year, I'm in US. I was put into a regular class with a bunch of fifth graders. So that was like really challenging for me, and really scary too. <laughs> Just and I was really worried. 就很怕说会听不懂他们在讲什么，然后 like not being able to converse. Right away and respond to what they're saying because at that time in Irvine there wasn't really a lot of Asian immigrants.、Um, this was even before 99 Ranch was open in Irvine at the time. And 99 Ranch is a big Asian grocer here in California. So at that time the the, the closest one we can drive to was about 40 minutes away from where we, there was not a lot of Asian population in Irvine. I can say like pretty much close to zero. Like I'm the only you know the ESL kids. That was in that class were like the only ones, and in that there were like Japanese kids, some of them from Korea, and then there's I think people from like kids from Iran, but I think most of them were like older than me, and a lot of them went to a different school because the other school may have kept the ESL program, so there was only two kids that I knew stayed at the school, but they were not in my class. So what was it like? 你那时候有没有已经交到朋友了，或是他们有有没有欢迎你到他们的团体啊，或是 group or those little elementary school groups that they that get formed? Um, so basically, no. It was a very challenging time of my life. It's pretty traumatizing, actually. So in the ESL class, I there was like two to three kids that I know, but they're not in my grade, and they didn't live right next to my house. Like they're not on my street. And then at the time, my sister was only seventeen years old, so it's not like or or eighteen years old, so she's not driving yet. And my host family wasn't actively having playdates, so to speak. Now that I'm a parent, I know how important it is to have playdates, and you build this relationship with、uh, th- these parents that your kids might go to the same school with. So I didn't really have any of that.、Um, and as much as the kids like to play together, it's hard to connect if you're not seeing each other. After school, so no, it, it was very challenging. Like, so there were like two kids, two to three kids that I would meet up with in the playground during recess. But when I'm in class, which is most of the time in fifth grade, I didn't know anybody, and so it was very scary. And I'm often like really sad. Like I would go home and feel just really terrible. And yeah, just really try. And I made that made me really want to master the language. And I remember going to the library and getting a lot of books. And I just told myself, you know, I'm just gonna figure it out. Like I'm gonna learn how to write. I'm gonna learn how to read. And I'm gonna learn how to speak like an American. 
that was like my big goal when I was 11 years old. So what did you read? And how did, did you journal? Like, how did you, what was your process? Oh, um, you know, I just got a lot of storybooks. Um, I started with, I remember just sort of trial and error. I remember going to the kids section and um, getting books that I would like flip the books open. Well, I go for the smaller books. I'm not going to go for the really thick books, um, but I go for the small books and I would open a few pages and I try to read a couple sentences and I'm like, oh, okay. If I felt like I can read about 50% of the words and I felt like I felt pretty good and I would borrow it. And I would go home and I have like a dictionary. Yeah, it was big at the time and they were very expensive too. And they always come out with new models every year because <laughs> they put more and more vocabularies in there. So, and then, yeah, I, well, and then I can't write on the books because these are like library books. I can't make notes. But I would, I remember I would like write down words that I didn't know on a piece of paper. And I would write down the Chinese meaning of it. And I just like try to push myself to read every sentence, like understand what every word means. And then try to figure out grammatically, okay, so I think that's what they meant. Um, so I did a lot of like self-reading. Like I, I'm pretty amazed at, at like what I did. That's so incredible. If you left Taiwan when you were in, what, third or fourth grade? I finished third grade. So I came here to start my fourth grade. So like in Taiwan, are they fluent in writing and reading by the time they're in third grade? Um, no, they're still, well, they know a few Chinese characters, you know, they and then you'll be learning to read Mandarin characters and you will be expected to write a few, like I think you can write a sentence, you can write mm -hmm. sentences in it with the amount of, so you'll be learning a little bit about grammar, how to construct a sentence um, based on the, the vocabulary you would have at the time. But I was an early reader, I remember. I enjoyed reading. I have two older sisters, and they were seven and eight years older than me. So I think when I was little, I'm always trying to, I'm always in, aspire to, you know, do everything they do. And I, I want to be able to read. I'm always trying to be more mature. I want to grow up faster, so to speak. And my dad likes to read newspapers. So I, I would try to figure out what the words mean on a newspaper. I would try to sound out the words with Bopomofo. They would have a kid section in the newspaper. Oh, yeah. So that was before the internet era. Yeah. This is before phone call. This is before like Skype and, you know, before even there was phone cards. Yeah. Um, 
I think in the 2000s, that's when those fiber optic phone cards became very popular. I think all Taiwanese Americans know about those. You know, that's the one you buy a car for twenty dollars and you yeah, scratch you have to off put, like twenty code. like numbers. <laughs> yeah, you scratch in the yeah you key in the code and then you get the key in the number you're calling. So this is before all of that. This is in the 90s and. The only way to call is using a landline. 那个时候的电话公司叫好像是 MCI 吧？对，还是什么？ Mm-hmm. 你记得？ Yeah. 记得记得。So you have to call with them, and from what I was told, it was very expensive at the time.、Um, I was ten, so I'm not writing checks or paying the bills. Uh, but I was just told it was very expensive, so we rarely talked to my mom. We would talk like once a week for a couple of minutes, and I remember it would be I would get very limited time. Mostly, my mom wanted to talk to my sister because it probably something more more concerning the day to day tasks. Like if she needs her to do some bank errands or certain things that she wants her to take care of, she's the one that can do that, not me. And My mom rarely spent time asking me like how your day was at school.、Um, you know, she would. Her 电话上就是会讲说你要好好读书哦。今天有没有好好读书啊？ Uh, 有没有多背一点英文单词？然后就是说住人家家要听话哦，要乖哦，啊、um, ，不可以乱跑哦，什么？然后晚上要睡觉哦。Okay, to 吵姐姐哦 It's just always these kind of. Ah, 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 然后他们就会说：“哦，你有很多话要讲的话，不要在电话上讲，因为电话费很贵。所以你如果有什么故事或者很长的事情要跟我讲，你就写信。那那个时候我就觉得好，那我就写信吧。然后就又因为不能写英文，他也看不懂，所以就会写中文。那中文的 vocab 也是也是很有限啊，因为才十岁就没有在上中文课。那但至少文法之类的比较。”已经有一个概念，那就会查字典，又是查字典，可是查中文字典，<笑>然后就查中文字典，然后就是想办法写一篇一封一封信。然后我记得第一次寄了之后，我就觉得等好久好久好久好久，然后好不容易他们收到了，然后又等好久好久好久才收到他们的回信。So later I knew it took about like two and a half to three weeks for them to get my letter. And then, if you think about how long it takes them to write those response and send it back to me, that's another three weeks later. So between the time I send them a story and I got a response, it's like a month and a half. Wow.、Um, so yeah, a lot of disconnect. Now, time just just in this middle, just just keeps going. You know, it's like you go to sleep and it's another day when you wake up. So at that time, I feel like the days are just long. 嗯，那你有没有以前写的故事？你没有在、哦、那些信吗？对啊，信我没有留哎、欸，其实我没有留哎、欸。你记不记得你写的故事是、嗯、是是别人的故事，还是是讲你自己过去的事情？哦、oh, ，You know, it's funny you ask that. So I think I remember this one. My parents would they kind of talk about it. 就是因为我那时候来在
在别人家住了，就是会有一些不开心，然后小孩子可能就觉得受委屈，那我就会写信想要抱怨，就写给、嗯、写给爸妈，因为电话不能讲，那我就写信，然后写信写给他们，就是会讲我的 day to day， 但是后来因为来，就我记得印象写过那么一封，然后后来写些什么，就是会发觉后来就是越写越少，因为实在是等太久了。信件来往的时间实在是太久了，因为在写的当下或许很生气，然后很想要听到他的 response， 那你寄出去、嗯，然后等到收到的时候，那个记忆其实已经不太记得了，你知道吗？就一个月多前发生的事情来，嗯，小时候就不会记得了。那后来就变成说 ，I run out, I actually run out of things to write to them at one point, and then I think I would kind of like make up some stuff, and then and then it become just writing things to make them feel like. I'm doing okay.、Mm-hmm. Um, instead of telling them like a lot of my day-to-day stuff, because I I kind of learned that it's not、um, like they won't be able to address it. 就小时候好像就有这种想法。那一段其实跟家人的感情是就是是越来越远。那你在美国是到哪一年级才觉得有比较 like fit in？ 嗯。I would say it was um, 大概是到十年级 like tenth grade 就是台中那台湾的高一吧。嗯，那个时候熬好几年哦。啊，对，很多年，<笑>那个就已经十五岁了。So yeah, five years, 五年。对，那个时候就有换到 high school， 然后 high school 有一群那个 high school 就比较多台湾人，然后有一些 A B C， so there's like a group. So it was like nice to be able to see that. It was like a part of me just felt really comforted by that. But by that time, though, actually, my English was was much better than all you know all of them. <laughs> Other than just 除了 A B C 啦，但是以就是说比较晚来的台湾人的小孩，就我那个时候英文就会比他们好很多啊。Uh, 然后我同时也可以跟 A B C 的的朋友聊天。因为我就是中英文就是都还蛮 ，like I kind of I'm, I'm I know the culture and like I talk I the way I speak it kind of sounds more 就是比较不会觉得说很 out of context 那种感觉。嗯嗯。So I have one of my questions was about identity and you just addressed it. If you think about、oh. yourself as more American, more Taiwanese, or or some kind of combination of both. Yes. So um. Right now, if I were to answer that, I would say I'm a hybrid. That's what my husband and I kind of call myself. He actually came up with that term. I say hybrid. I think about the car. <laughs>、um, <laughs> I'm like I'm not a car, but yes, like we are. We're kind of like merged. You know, there's like a part of us that's very Taiwanese. 我像我回台湾带小孩回台湾，或者我之前因为工作回台湾的时候，其实如果我不讲，嗯，一般是不会有人知道我。都是大多数时间都是住在美国。那因为我也是回去嘛，也也要工台语，所以讲台语，就呃随便讲几句还还可以骗过人啊。我台语没有很标准，可是我听着 OK 的。那就是说，像很多就是我说出去办事啊什么的话，就是人家都不会觉得我是外地人。那像在美国跟外国人讲话的时候，其实我们也可以 ，we're pretty blended in in the culture。
although if you dig deeper, you know, like I didn't grow up singing, hearing itsy itsy spiders. Um, mm-hmm. I grew up singing like Taiwan the no some draw ni show and local the Taiwan the tong tong yao. So it's just like, feel like being Americans. Although I understand the way they live and then the way they think. There's still a part like their root, you know, that I don't completely identify with. 那跟台湾人在聊天的时候呢，我也是可以 ，I can understand where they're coming from. I understand the way they think. 也可以了解很多传统的想法啊。Um, 然后就说哦，台湾人，那我们做像什么坐月子，就是我们就是有这些文化。但是一部分我又没有办法完全同意他们的的做法。所以其实我会觉得 ，I'm For identity, I think I see I, I see myself in the middle. Like, because I, I'm, I've tried leaning toward one side or the other actually in my life, and I just wasn't really happy. Because I'm ignoring part of me. There's always a part of me that I'm ignoring when I'm on the other side. Like, if I'm leaning towards, if I see myself identifying with American culture, there's always a part of me that I'm ignoring. And then when I identify with Taiwanese culture, I I I know like there's a part of me that I'm ignoring. So you said you have kids. Are you doing anything special <laughs> as you raise them in the bicultural context? Yes. So I um, that's an interesting question because it, it kind of ties in with the previous question. So as me as a mother go through this um, identity searching process, it, it affects how I. Parent my child. When I first had my daughter, she's five now. When I first had her, I had an expectation, like I had it in my head, that I'm going to raise her a certain way. That was a part of my time where I identified a lot more with the American culture, and I thought, you know, I'm going to raise her, respecting the way she is.、Um, I'm going to give her choices. You know, I'm gonna encourage critical thinking, and 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 I think a lot of Taiwanese people will they will understand this part. It's like if she thinks she's not cold, I'm not gonna force her put a jacket on her, <laughs> <laughs> and you know, let her wear tank tops in the winter time, as an example. So I thought I was gonna raise her that way, and I did for about two years, and then something changed, and I just realized I am not comfortable with myself. Some of these ideals I have, I I don't completely agree with it, and it's because that was not how I'm raised. And when I've learned that as I as you become a mother, people tend to look back to how they were parented as a reference that was their model. So I find myself going back, you know, searching in my memory bank, thinking about how my parents raised me, things they would say, and obviously, you know, they're not going to let me wear a tank top in the winter time, like. <laughs> no, no Taiwanese family would do that ever. <laughs>、um, so I, I realized, oh my gosh, like I have to find a middle ground. You know, like where do, we, what do we do? You know, who are we? Like, what kind of traditions do I want for our family? So what I've decided to do recently, now that my second child is two, we've actually started to take these annual trips to Taiwan. Annual or biannual trips to Taiwan, and I've actually started to connect a lot more with my parents. I do want to embrace、um, what they bring because that is a part of me. I don't want to ignore, like I don't want to, you know, put it in a bag and just throw it out the door. I want to embrace that part, and I, I also want my children to be fluent in Mandarin. I've decided that is going to be a big part 
of my family because I can't. 啊、uh, ，我觉得我会没有办法说以后他长大就是很 A B C， 然后我没有办法跟他 share 一些 common ideal。嗯 ，I realize that it's not something I'm okay with. Now, whether that's good for them or not, that's up for debate because you know everybody has different perspectives on that. You know, of course, encouraging Western thinking can be very beneficial. Um, it encourages independence. You know, it it. It really helps them have self development, like self confidence, like a lot of good things. But ultimately, it has to be okay with me. And I don't want to. I was like picturing myself, like if I was sixty years old, you know, seventy years old, and then my daughter is like thirty, and she would treat me a certain way, more of like a Western family style. I just don't think I'm okay with that, and I don't want that. So I'm trying to embrace my my parents more to be closer to them to sort of demonstrate for my daughter that, you know, this is what we do, and having her learn Mandarin and understanding the culture because a lot of times when you learn the language, it's important that you learn the culture too. So she doesn't just speak the language but not understand the context of it. I want her to. Know the culture, and which is why it would be important that we have these annual visits to Taiwan because she can really get an idea of the culture and understand why people say certain things. 就是说，嗯，就亚洲人说会觉得比较唠叨啊，或什么。可是其实他们是，<笑>他们其实是关心。对 ，That's the only way they know how to care for you because that's how they were raised. That's the Asian thinking model. So I'm hoping this will help. As she grows up, you know she'll be able to embrace this identity that she has, which is、uh, like a hybrid too, maybe a little bit toned down because she is born here and she's probably going to spend most of her time here, at least her school years. She'll spend most of her time here in the U.S., but I don't want her to be confused, you know. And and actually, I've seen that in her. We'll use chopsticks at home because I do cook a lot of Taiwanese food. And while we do enjoy other ethnic food, and you know Italian, American, Mexican,、um, we make tacos and eat spaghettis, and like we we do all of that in Japanese food, like we eat sushi, like we love all of that. But、um, I would say eighty percent of what we eat at home is Taiwanese food, like Chinese food, rice and noodles. And so we use chopsticks. And there was at one point where she felt really funny using chopsticks, and she wants she doesn't understand why her friends doesn't know how to use the chopsticks. When they're little like that, they just want to be like their friends. It's hard to explain the idea of we we do things a little bit different than other people because of certain reasons. It's I, it's very difficult for them to understand at this age.、Um, What do you say to her at that point? Do you say, "Oh, you're Chinese, so you know, you know I didn't." Um. Yeah. Like I have actually. Said that to her. I think I said, yeah, I said because we're Taiwanese and then we eat Taiwanese food. And when you eat Taiwanese food, we use chopsticks. And she said, she actually told me she was like four, I think. She said, "Mommy, I'm not Taiwanese. I'm American."、Um, and <laughs> it just—I don't know how you felt when I tell when I say that when you hear me say that, but I know my heart kind of sunk a little. Um, I remember distinctly, actually, growing up, probably around the same age as your daughter. I went to Taiwan maybe when I was eight. My relatives would be like, "Oh, you see, Taiwanese or American?" You know,、mm. like, and、I、had to like、mm. choose. It always felt really awkward because passport-wise, I'm American, but <laughs> culturally, I guess I'm Taiwanese, right? 
Um, yes, 但是就、yeah. 就觉得要被逼的去选一面。嗯、so it's interesting that your daughter also. Yeah, so she. I that's when I learned that oh, she's actually identifying herself as American at this such young age. Like I had no idea because you know I didn't grow up being an ABC. I've clearly identified myself as Taiwanese when I came at ten. <laughs> <laughs> you know, no way am I going to think I'm American because I don't speak the language at all. So I was really surprised that like wow, so this is her world. This is what I'm giving her. And then that's when it really made me think. Actually, yeah, this is when she just turned four. So this was like about a year and a half, like almost two years ago. That's what made me think about what I have been doing, and if I'm okay, keep doing what I was doing. If she continued down this path, like, like, yeah, so she might, you know, I'm already thinking like she'll be 16 years old, and she's saying she's American. I am. I'm 35 right now, almost 35. I'm probably not gonna identify myself as American anytime soon. So I just, I can't. I, I don't want my daughter to identify herself as American when I identify myself as a different, a different nationality. I mean, I don't know. Maybe some people are okay with it, but for some reason, the idea didn't sit well with me. So I thought, you know, I need to give her a fair chance. I need to let her experience the culture, and so when she grows up, she'll have the tools and the resources to decide, you know, what she identifies with. I want her to experience Taiwan like I did. I want her to feel like that's her home too, if she chooses it to be. Are you doing anything specific when you go back to Taiwan to get her? Because Taiwan's changed a lot in the last three decades as well. That's Going right. Going to visit when I was little versus now—it's so different. It is very different, and now with internet, you know things are moving at a much faster pace. They they're they're taking on a more international, like a global view. 我爸妈以前是住台北，但是他们几年前因为嗯台北的房子就老了旧了，然后要爬爬四楼，就是那种老公寓，然后要走到四楼，所以每天这样上下四楼，买菜什么都要这样拿四楼楼梯上去，就很对肩对膝盖就是。就很累，所以他们就搬到台中，换了有那种电梯的公寓 ，like those apartments。And so， 呃、uh, ，现在我们回去，我们就会住台中。那我发渐渐发觉，本来刚搬，我也是想说，哇，天哪，搬到台中好像很乡下一家，就是比较没有那么的诶、欸、，international 或是比较 modern 吧。对、嗯。可是这三年，其实台中也改变非常多。And they're actually starting to come up with some options. 就是说，然后我看很多东西都是他们台北有。现在看到一半，可能就是台北有，台中也会有。嗯，当然还有一些可能比较 exclusive 的，还是 mostly in Taipei. But I'm just happy that they're starting to have some in Taichung. I've looked at summer camps, and、um, they have these mommy and me cooking classes, mommy and me dancing classes,、wow. music classes. So they actually have all of that even in Taichung. But、so、they targeted for overseas Taiwanese. No, they're for the locals. Wow. So the the new、uh, generation, they because of internet, I think information is so readily available. There's a lot of info from the world. Like they know what's trendy now, what the trend is, and then also Taiwan has a lot of ABCs or people who have came to get a degree in the U.S. and then they go back. You know, so there's also a lot of that. That has been going on in the last decade. 
，所以台湾我觉得现在新一代、年轻一代，就是也蛮多人有一些出过国啊，然后就是有接触过不同的 culture， 然后 they try to bring a little bit back， like to kind of adapt what the locals can can be comfortable with， and then they're coming up with a lot of new things now that are， 嗯，觉得就还蛮有潜力的啦。当然，台湾就是还是有一些比较硬体上的问题，像人家就会说什么空气不好，然后就是人口比较拥挤啊，这种就是在美国就会比较宽敞了。你知道，我们就什么东西 super size， 就是房子比较大，车子比较大，路比较宽。对，嗯，对。可是我觉得台湾现在也是变蛮多的，所以我们带小孩子，现在去年我带他们回去，就把他们放在 daycare， 所以他们就跟其他 local 的小朋友一起上课。那就学中文，哇，啊哈，然后就是会玩一些台湾玩的游戏，像学什么跳绳啊，因为台湾小孩子蛮喜欢玩跳绳的。那这边 ，like at least here in the schools, like they don't teach you how to play. Not that they don't play, like they don't teach you how to play. 然后在台湾，他们就去，他说：“妈咪，我们今天跳绳。”我说：“哇，跳绳蛮好的啊。” And then I remember, like, oh, I did that when I was little. So they're kind of immersed in the culture. And you know, I, I'm encouraging her to make friends in the class too. So I, I, I would hope for the goal is like maybe she 未来在台湾也可以有有朋友啊，然后就是固定如果回台湾都可以见面。然后我姐姐，我有两个姐姐，一个姐姐在美国，一个姐姐是住在台中，离我妈妈很近。那我姐姐在台湾的，在台中的姐姐有一个儿子 ，he's the same age as my daughter. It's been kind of nice that they're in the same age and then kind of hang out, even though boys and girls don't necessarily enjoy the same things all the time.、Um, but it's nice for her to know, like, oh, I have a cousin, and then she knows that, like, oh, he doesn't speak English at all. Like at first, it was hard for her to grasp, and then I was trying to explain to her, like, yes,、yeah, see, so you know both languages. Now, isn't that amazing? Now you can converse with more people. Even who don't speak English, and you get to find out and be friends with them. Like you'll have so much more opportunities for life experiences. You know, meeting new people, and she's starting to be more comfortable with that. Actually, a year ago, she was not very comfortable with it. She didn't like the fact that she knew Chinese. Like she, we speak Mandarin at home, and nobody did at school. I love this. <laughs> this is so yeah. Cool. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and, and you know, I don't know if this will stick around or maybe it's an age thing. Like I could be wrong. There might be people listening, and then they're saying like, "Oh, it's only because she's so little."、Um, but you know, like she, it was challenging. Like last year, she wanted to do Spanish. She was like, "My friend's learning Spanish. Why am I not learning Spanish?" You know, and I'm like, "Well, we, you could always learn Spanish at a different time. It's just right now you're learning Mandarin Chinese." And you can always pick up Spanish. I'm not saying you can't, but that's just not we're doing, not what we're doing right now. And she gets to embrace the idea that, like, wow, you know, there's different parts of the world. People speak different languages, and then they eat different food. Whereas her friend, who is just all American, she'll never be able to experience that. Like, that's just not the kind of environment she'll grow up with. And I don't want my daughter to be like that. Especially my my husband being Taiwanese, so our two children are just very Asian. Then he, if he grows up, he will feel that he cannot find out if he is American or Taiwanese. I don't want her to. You know, I don't want her to. I don't want that to be something she should need to struggle with. I think that's something I can do for her right now. That's great. Do you think the parachute kid is still a common phenomenon now? 
you know, I actually Googled it the other day because we're doing this podcast. And it is, except that now a lot of them are coming from China. For Taiwanese people, I think they, they don't really send their kids here um, anymore. But a lot of families in China do. And they'll be here to study, uh, like they'll be here for high school um, or college. So I think they still do that right now. It's actually more common now. Like people kind of, um, it's not so much like a hush-hush thing like it was in the 90s. Yeah. Because it's almost like illegal in a way. You know, in the 90s, like they don't have policy or proper ways of like legally properly handle the situation of a parachute kid. You know, like who's their legal guardian? Like are they being careful properly? Like things like that. In the 90s, it wasn't, it just wasn't even something on the radar. So people don't talk about it. But now I, th I know a lot of schools are very familiar with taking international students. That's what they're called. Like they're international students. Even at um, public schools or is it just boarding school sort of thing? So mostly boarding schools. It's a lot easier at boarding schools, not at public schools. A lot of the boarding schools are like private middle school, high schools mm -hmm. and colleges um, too. But at that time, I guess they're not really called parachute kids. They're not kids anymore. <laughs> wow. Well, thank you so much, Tracy. This is really fun. Thank you for being available and willing to talk. Yes. Um, yeah, you're welcome. I think it's really cool. Yeah, I had a lot of fun too. I'm glad that you're doing it. So it gives me an opportunity to talk. So I think I can talk a lot more about this. Thanks for listening um, and asking all these good questions. Well, let's talk again soon. We can do another episode about um, all the homeopathic, um, alternative, holistic health stuff as well. Okay, sure. So Tracy, thank you so much for sharing your story with us today. One of the key takeaways that registered with me is that, you know, parents, especially Asian parents, think a lot about providing for their children's physical comforts and needs and providing for their future. And that primarily means education opportunities. Um, but one thing you highlighted in your story is the importance of emotional support as well. And so I hope parents will, who are listening will also take that into account. And that's it for today. If you like what you heard, please leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. And please send me a message on Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook at T-W-D-I-A-S-P-O-R-A or shoot me an email. It's hello at TaiwaneseDiaspora.com. And if you or other people you know have stories that they'd like to share on this podcast, please send them my way as well. All right, see you next time.